Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to the Omarpreneur podcast. I have with me a very special guest today, Brother Ibrahim Al-Kurd, who is joining me today so we can talk about all things business, uh, all things business, cryptocurrency, and a lot more because he is in this space. Inshallah. Ibrahim, how are you today? Assalamu alaikum. Alhamdulillah. Good work, Mr. Lam. It's nice to have you, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Sure. Happy to be on. <laughs> awesome, brother. So I want you to give us just a quick intro about yourself what it is that you do and who you are for our guests who aren't familiar with you. Sure. So as you said, my name is Ibrahim. I'm 25. Um, I studied medicine undergrad. Uh, whilst in medical school, I found my passion for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, I launched my first business in medical school, which I'll tell you a bit, bit about in a second. And now, alhamdulillah, I've got about um, 10 businesses in different sectors uh, doing different things. But predominantly, I'm focused on the crypto space and mm -hmm. I'm also focused on building businesses for the, for the Muslim market. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the quick overview. Awesome, man. And I know, I know it's a very humble overview because there's a lot that you do, mashallah. I've uh, gotten the chance to learn more about uh, all of your businesses. And usually on this podcast, I like to start always at the beginning. I like to get a little bit of background on someone and understand who they are, where they come from. So if you can share with me a little bit about that backstory, what made you into an entrepreneur? What inspired you to start your own businesses versus going the traditional route? Yeah, sure. So I was born in, in Gaza and Palestine. Um, in 1997, mm -hmm. uh, and then my we my parents and family moved around a bit. We we lived in Norway for a bit. We lived in Wales, and then we settled in, in Manchester. So Manchester is my home. It's where I've, it's where I've lived most of my life. It's where I live at the moment. Um, and then you know, growing up, I, I was um, I grew up in a working class area, um, and I went to um, I, I got a place in a grammar school. So for the international people, grammar schools are like free schools in the UK, but you need to pass an exam to get into them. Um, and I was the only kid in my um, primary school to get into a grammar school. So I was very fortunate, alhamdulillah, to get a place to study there. Um, and yeah, like growing up, like a lot of young people, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So uh, I noticed that a lot of the smart kids in my school did medicine. And obviously, as as, um, as Muslims and Arabs, we know that there's a big push in our culture to study medicine and engineering and these careers, right? So I went and did that. Alhamdulillah, I got a place in uh, in Cardiff Medical School. Um, and then I started studying medicine and during my, uh, during the first term of first year, I realized, you know, that it's not, medicine's not ready for me. So I started kind of exploring different business opportunities. And I looked into, at the time, uh, just before I got into university, a friend, um, also is, is college for the Americans right on here, but we, we Brits say university, but a friend told me about Bitcoin, uh, on a train journey and I was, um, fascinated by the technology. So um, I got a job working at a, at a call center, right? Uh, because I wanted to save up money so I could invest it into, into Bitcoin and, and trade it. Uh, so I saved up around $2,000. Um, and I took that $2,000 and I started doing something called arbitrage trading. I was 18 at the time. So arbitrage trading is essentially where there's a price discrepancy between two exchanges. Yeah. And you buy it on the exchange that is cheaper and then you sell it on the exchange that is small. So it's very, very simple trading. Mm -hmm. And I was making about 10% a day. And back then, Bitcoin was only like $200, right? So this was like the very early stages of Bitcoin. So to alhamdulillah... Uh, to make 10%, yeah. just sorry, to just cut you off, yeah, but just because you, you just shared something really interesting. But uh, so to be, how did you even figure that out? What, 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 how did you stumble upon that? And how did you yeah. then go on to decide, well, I'm going to use this to make money? Um, yeah, just share, me, share yeah. a little bit more about that because that was really interesting. Yeah, so part of the reason uh, I wanted to make money is because I wanted to, to rely on myself in university. Um, I, wanted, I didn't want to kind of rely on my parents. I wanted to, you know, be like a proper adult. So uh, when I was researching my Bitcoin, I just, I was going from one exchange to another. And then I noticed, okay, well, it's cheaper on this exchange than this one, right? So I just did a, a quick calculation. It's 10% more than it is here. 
so mm. I can buy it for less and then I can move it to this exchange and sell it for more, right? So, and then I just kept circulating that 10% over and over until I turned that 2K into 12, 13K in the space of about three months. Amazing. Um, so I felt like a very wealthy 18 year old. <laughs> and and I guess I guess that's before like the gas fees were ast- astronomical um, in terms of like, you know, moving crypto around. Yeah, the gas fees were uh, because Bitcoin was worth, was less, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. gas fees were, were a lot less. Um, and then back then, like everyone thought that crypto and Bitcoin were a scam. So mm-hmm. it was like very, very early stages in the space. Yeah. And subhanAllah, a lot of the people that, uh, you know, laughed about crypto or were not sure about it five years ago have bought it now. So uh, there's been a massive mindset shift uh, in terms of this asset class. And we'll talk about that in, in, a, in a second, inshallah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you got into crypto, you started making money. What then led you to decide to go full on into business mode and just, you know, focus on that 100% of of your time? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting story. So I I had had about $13,000, right? And I took that and bought a load of Bitcoin with it really early on. And I bought a load of Ethereum with it uh, Mm -hmm. early on. So, uh, and then I focused on my studies because I was like, well, I don't want to fail my studies because I don't know if this there's genuinely a future to this. So I bought it and just mm-hmm. sat on it. And then in 2016, August of 2016, um, I launched Newmine. Uh, and then the name Newmine, I don't know if it came to me in a dream or something, but I woke up one morning and I was like, Newmine, right? And what the company was going to do was when I was doing my research, again, I was just doing a lot of reading. I noticed that there was no service providers providing um, crypto mining services to people in the West, or there was very little of them, right? So basically, if you come to me and you say to me, you know, Rahim, I want to set up a crypto mining operation and this is how much money I want to put into it. I'll say to you, OK, well, we can get you the machines because we have the contacts to get you these these Bitcoin mining machines. And also what we can do for you is we'll host the machines for you. Right. So you can't you can't put these machines in your bedroom. They're very loud. They make a lot of noise. They, they draw a lot of electricity. They have to be put in like purpose built data centers. So we, we provide the service to these people. And I launched Newmine in 2016. And then the 2017 bull run happened where uh, maybe you saw that Bitcoin went up to $20,000 and there was massive demand in the space. And I was still a full-time medical student at the time. And the company closed around $2 million in sales in its first year. So I was studying medicine. I had this thing going on in the background, which I didn't tell any of my friends about, or I I barely told my parents about it because they didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. They just wanted me to be a doctor. So uh, (laughs) alhamdulillah, 2 million in sales. And I was like 19, 20 at the time. Amazing, mashallah. Amazing. I love that. So when you stumble upon something that uh, really has potential, that's when you have those like blue ocean uh, businesses, right? Where you are the first to market or at least one of the first to market. And then you can yeah. tap into uh, pretty much an untapped niche, right? And and that's what that's where like all the, the magic happens when it comes to this, you know, unicorn growth, uh, mashallah. So at what point did you decide? Well, did you actually decide? Did you go on to finish medical school or did you then decide to to drop out? So I, I dropped out in fourth year. So it was by then, wow! So, so uh, towards the yeah. end, then. Well, yeah. So it was the beginning of fourth year. So I completed three years. Medicine's mm-hmm. five years, okay. and uh, after three years, you get a bachelor's, and then after um, after basically five years, you get the medical degree. And the How way I quit was, <laughs> <laughs> I mo- my mom cried uh, as the, as mothers do. They, they really? Look- okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> The the thing is, look, people like Arabs and Muslims and, uh, you know, a lot of Asian cultures, they, they, they see it medicine as like the, the creme de la creme, like the, 
the ultimate mm-hmm. career and they don't realize that the world has changed you know mm-hmm. now is that really the main uh, main people that people look up to are the elon musk and the zuckerbergs of the world these are the people making a massive impact and there's, there's nothing wrong with being a doctor if you want to be a doctor yeah. but one of the things that i don't necessarily um like about our culture is this constant push towards uh you know law dentistry medicine engineering and then we get a massive brain drain in, in business and politics and the arts yeah. when we should have you know pe- let people as long as it's halal let people um you know do what they want to do is, is my mindset 100 percent, 100 percent. and 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 so you went up to your parents you told them that listen i'm i don't think i'm going to continue with medicine what was what was your thinking about them? Because I remember, I remember the time that I went up to my parents and I was nowhere near uh, something as lofty as, as medicine. I was in uh, mechanical engineering at the time, but uh, I also made the same decision. I started my business on the side initially, started taking off. I'm like, all right, I think this is what I'm going to do full time. And then eventually I decided, well, I'm making more money in my business that I would make if I graduated. What's the point of pursuing this? Um, mm. And so uh, I went up to my parents and I remember that moment where, you know, I sat them down and like, I'm going to listen, I don't think I'm going to continue my studies. But at that point, it's it's kind of like even, you know, alhamdulillah, they did react, uh, they took it pretty well. And I think part of the reason why was because I'm, I was the last of, of uh, we're a big family, we're six kids in my family. Um, yeah, alhamdulillah. So I'm the last, I'm the last one. So I don't know if, how many siblings do you have? Yeah, I'm, I'm the eldest of six. So. You're the eldest. Okay, so you, dude, yeah. you, you're bearing the brunt of everything, dude. Because the eldest is <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like this is the, you know, like every everything they're testing is on you, <laughs> right? So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this yeah. is like you're like the experiment. So uh, my oldest brother got that. So, but I'm the youngest one. So it's like by that point they're like, all right, we've already seen it all. Like, do what you need to do. Just like, don't be homeless. You know, like, all right, perfect. So, so, uh, <laughs> so I had I had the confidence. I had the confidence in myself as well at that point to be like, well, I. I know for sure that this is what what my what my calling was, and my, mm. the reason why I'm asking you that is because at that moment when you come up to them, did you feel like within you, like what was that shift that happened within you? There must have been a shift that happened within you that made you realize and see that this is my purpose and this is what I'm meant to pursue and not what I'm currently studying in. And when what was that shift within you, and what was it that triggered that confidence within you to then make that leap? Yeah. So actually. Um... You know, Allah chose it for me, and, and I'll explain how. So, I was torn between medicine and business. Right, mm-hmm. business was where my passion was; it was going well. But then you always think to yourself, "What if it fails?" Mm-hmm. And I think a part of part of the reason people there's a push in our culture to do medicine is because of the security of it, right? Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, Allah is our provider. You know, Allah will provide for us regardless of what what, what we do. You know, mm-hmm. He provides for us from the moment we're born till the moment we die. Yeah. Now, when I was um, when I was uh, abroad, I was in in Oman on a holiday. And there was a there's a sinkhole. A right? sinkhole is basically like a pool of water, and it was 30 meters high. It's called Bima Sinkhole. And I was just for fun. I jumped off the top, so 30 meters high. And Subhanallah, the last thing I th- thought to myself was before I jumped, is this water? What's the worst thing that can happen? But I didn't realize when you jump from that height, you you hit the water at such a high speed that if you don't hit it right, you can really in- injure yourself. Sure. And after I did the jump, and I I jumped and I, I had a really bad injury, I had nerve damage. I injured my like neck and shoulder and wow. back and wow. um wow. so it was tough and i was uh yeah my last thought was what was the worst that could happen well that's what can happen but alhamdulillah <laughs> it could have been worse yeah uh, i heard a story of a brother who jumped and he, he was he landed on his back and he was paralyzed from the same jump so i was very fortunate yeah so it was tough and i, I basically i hit the water and my left arm stopped working i'm okay this is not normal so i swim out with one arm alhamdulillah i didn't drown and uh my my health declined massively and it affected my studies it affected my 
Um, I couldn't really spend time with my friends. It affected my businesses. Like everything came like well, dunya wise, felt like it was it came crashing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also during that time, my faith really picked up, and I started practicing properly. Alhamdulillah, and you know, getting a lot closer to, to my deen. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized like khalas, it reached a point where it's either going to be one or the other. I don't want to be an average doctor and an average businessman. I want to be exceptional one or the other. So I took that leap of faith and it was a tough decision, but I took the decision and I never went back on it. So I, the, the way it happened was I was in fourth year. It was the first week of fourth year and I just wasn't feeling it. I booked a one-way train ticket home to Manchester from Cardiff. Mm-hmm. I emailed my head of year telling her I quit. And that was it. I was like, wow. please send me my bachelor's degree. And I never looked back. Alhamdulillah, it was the best decision I ever made. In fact, I, w- I wish I, I'd left medicine earlier, if anything. Mm. SubhanAllah. Someone listening to this, what would you say to someone who's listening to this who's studying medicine right now and you're there saying that, you know, you wish you left medicine earlier? What do you have to say to that person who's like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you have to say to them, bro? Well, what I'll say is if you do leave medicine, don't tell your parents I encouraged it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want your parents coming at me. But look, at the end of the day, in my opinion, as long as it's halal, follow your passion. Because if you follow and do something you enjoy, you're going to excel at it. If you spend the rest of your life, and I'm sure you've seen this, right? If you spend the rest of your life doing something you don't enjoy, you're going to be, at best, average at it, you know? Yeah. So that's my advice. And I'll start with a group of uh, like 16, 17-year-olds, okay? Um, all Muslims. We sat in the mosque. And I, I went around and asked them, they're, they're at the stage where they're applying for university and choosing what they want to study. I said to them, uh, I went around and said, what are you going to study university? And it was literally all of them, engineering, medicine, engineering, medicine. One of them was um, computer science, you know? So again, there's just a massive um, massive amount of our people in these careers, which is good, but we need people in other careers, inshallah. Mm-hmm. Inshallah, definitely. So you went on to then build uh, your current investment firm. If I'm not correct, is that is that what you went on to do? Correct. Yeah. So I launched okay. uh, Lavade Capital, which is a digital asset investment firm in um, the end of second year, I believe. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that was launched during medical school, but it really took off after medical school. What was the journey like to build an investment firm? Because an investment firm is one, um, you know, it's, it's it's one of those businesses where you are dealing with people's finances. And so they're looking for credibility. They're looking for trust. They're looking for all of these things that are really hard for you to uh, deliver as a brand new startup entrepreneur. How did you overcome those hurdles? Yeah, so the way the way the fund started, um, so by the way, the, the, the mining company was still running and it was doing pretty well, but it also mm-hmm. went through a lot of difficulty. So I'll come back to the fund in a sec, but I've highlighted like the positives, right? Yeah. But a business is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Your chance of failure is far higher than your chance of success. Mm-hmm. It's good. You're going to go through like the, 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 the best moments of your life and the worst moments of your life whilst building that business. And I'll talk about kind of some of the things that went wrong along the way. But, you know, one of those examples was the first guy I ever worked with, uh, which was our supplier for the mining machines. I ended up having to sue. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the time when we look at successful business people, we highlight their successes, but we don't talk enough about how hard it was to get where they are, you know? So it was a very, very tough journey. And there was a lot, a lot of downs along the way, but alhamdulillah, you know, it's been worth it at the end. With the, with the digital asset investment firm, what happened was a lot of people were coming to me and said, you know, Ibi, can you, Ibi is my nickname, probably is my full name. Can you manage my money? Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, I can't do that legally, you know, unless all the, all the proper stuff is in place. So I went on a finance forum and I put up a post saying, I want to start a crypto hedge fund. Does anyone else want to do it? Mm-hmm. Right. And subhanAllah, the guy that saw the post, 
he was he wanted to set up a crypto fund as well and he was building a team so i came in as one of the co-founders in it it was like the right time so it was him and, and three other people so there's four in total i joined the team became five then two two out of the five people left because they didn't want to take on the risk and i was left with me and my and two guys and then i bought in another person right so there's four co-founders to the firm and right now we're managing about uh, 60 million dollars in in assets so we we take people's money and we invest it on their behalf and then the way the funds work is you charge them fees for you know you take a percentage of what you make the investors mm-hmm. um and that fund is only open to accredited investors which means that they have to you know fill for certain criteria in order to invest um but it took a long time to to really take off there came a stage where we almost had to shut shut up because for the first two years of the firm we couldn't we barely raised any money and the difficulty, the reason we weren't raising was because like we we're young, we didn't have a long track record, we weren't audited. It was basically like, it felt like an impossible battle. And there were multiple stages where, you know, I would pray in Istikhara, I would say to Allah, you know, I was like, I'm ready to leave, you know, because it was like, it was taking so long to take off. But subhanAllah, Allah just decreed that it, that I stay as part of the firm. Yeah. Um, so, so right now, so we, we currently have two funds, um, both crypto investment products, um, different strategies. And we're in the process of actually building out a few other strategies, inshallah. Inshallah. So, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, when you talk about the uh, business, a lot of times we just talk about the highlight reel, but there's so much more that goes into it. And I want to ask you, you know, what, what is it that even inspired? Because I know I actually have a friend, and this is a good conversation to have. I have a friend who's uh, himself kind of getting into the cryptocurrency space uh, in terms of launching his own NFTs and his own DAO and uh, kind of really his own ecosystem within that space. And he's struggling to find pretty much a co-founder, someone to help him out, a good partner. And you you mentioned that you went out there, um, you, you you put out uh, the message that you were looking for, for someone to partner with and, and you were able to find Alhamdulillah. What if someone was listening to this and they want to do the same thing? They were looking for a co-founder for a certain project, whether it's crypto or otherwise. Well, is there any anything that you would recommend for them uh, to do or yeah, any advice you can give? Sure. Yeah. So when you go into a partnership in business with someone, it's, a, it's basically like a marriage, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you're going to be with that person through the ups and the downs. You're going to have to deal with them on a daily basis. Um, it's going to get tough. Sometimes it might irritate you and you just have to like look past it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's very hit and miss. You know, it's, it's very tough to choose good co-founders. Alhamdulillah, I've been fortunate so far. The people that I've worked with have been honest, trustworthy. You know, I can rely on them. Yes, the, the, there's things about, you know, my, my partners that is not perfect. There's things about me that's not perfect, right? But you have to deal with it. Simply in marriage, no marriage is perfect. Now, the way, the way I see it is if I'm going to work with a Muslim as a partner, I look at does this person fulfill his duty to Allah? You know, does mm. he fulfill the five prayers? Does he pray? Does he fast? If he doesn't or she doesn't, then I don't, it's not going to work, you know? Okay. C- if it's a non-Muslim, I look at that person's character. You know, uh, what is their background? Are they educated? Uh, what is their chat record? Spend time with that person and get to know them as much as possible. Because once you sign that contract and they are an equity partner, you've signed you've signed the marriage contract. You know, if you're going to go back, you're gonna, if you have to get a divorce, it's going to be it's not going to be nice, mm-hmm. right? So, look at whether you're going into partner partnership with a Muslim or non-Muslim, right? And then go on off those criteria that's what i'd recommend mm-hmm. definitely i like that i like that you look at the character of the person and is there any uh you mentioned i believe you went on reddit and you made that post or where, where did you make that post exactly yeah it was a finance forum i don't i don't even remember the name of it but uh, okay so I, I made i think it was one post that i made and right. that person saw that post so, so imagine uh you know allah puts things in your way the, the way i see it is as long as you keep trying hard right and you put your heart into it 
sooner or later Allah is going to send the barakah right mm-hmm. and you've got to that's entrepreneurs have to have the most tawakkul out of any career the yeah. concept of salaries is, is new right two hundred years ago people didn't know where the, their risk was going to come from they basically lived day to day right now you know you know you're going to get four thousand dollars on the first of every month that's a big blessing but entrepreneurs don't necessarily know that you don't know if you're going to be broke or a multi-millionaire but in 12 months time and i think a part of me finds that exciting that kind of uncertainty and that's why i think uh nine to five never appealed to me because it was too secure and mm. also medicine medicine is also secure you can't take risks in medicine you take risks you kill people right yeah. so business is a great place to be able to take calculated risks 100 percent. i i love that i love that you mentioned that and you decided to go with the digital assets essentially in your investment firm uh, lavalier capital instead of traditional assets so you guys focus really mainly on cryptocurrency and digital assets is that correct yeah so all everything we invested in is cryptocurrency and digital assets okay and i think that for the foreseeable future that's gonna be the case so how do you manage your uh, your clients investments are you still doing strategies related to arbitrage or are you even investing in nfts or are you mainly investing simply in crypto funds and maybe diversifying certain funds with certain uh, cryptocurrencies how are you going about it yeah so we, we do a mixture of strategies we do do a bit of arbitrage a lot of our uh, returns have come from the, from the DeFi sector mm-hmm. so DeFi is decentralized finance and i think the opportunity set in this subsector is huge because it's um I'll talk you through kind of how the current financial system works and how I think it might work in the future. So yeah. right now we have banks, right? You go and deposit your money in a bank and the bank yeah. controls your money. You you need to pull out money. You have to get the bank's permission. That's what happens when you go to an ATM. You say to the bank, can you give me $300? And it gives you their money. It gives you your money. Now, the future of finance, I believe, is that anyone that has access to an internet connection is able to access financial markets through decentralized exchanges. So a decentralized exchange is an exchange whereby there's no centralized entity that runs it. Everything is is done and fulfilled through smart contracts. And I think that is the next evolution of finance. Now, five years ago, all the big banks were like, okay, crypto is a scam, probably going to die. Let's not pay attention to it. Now they're like, well, how is crypto going to be integrated into the financial sector? Mm -hmm. Because if I want to send you money right now to Canada, it's probably going to take three to five business days. I'm going to have to pay a lot of fees, right? It takes a lot of time. Why is it that I can send you an email in under a second, but it takes three to five business days for for me to send you money? The next layer of, of finance, it's going to be, you know, far more revolutionary, far more efficient and far cheaper. And I think that that, inshallah, is going to come from DeFi. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting perspective. And have you gotten any clients who came to you and are like, hey, put put some money in. Uh, do you guys, can you guys put some money in Board Ape for me? We get people like asking like very detailed questions like, what are you buying and stuff? I'm like. Well, that's why we don't we don't say right it's either you invest in us we get an audit right the, the audit checks out you're happy but like the there a lot of clients come and looking for individual investment advice it just doesn't work you know we're, we're we have our funds and you are you know they invest or they don't basically yeah okay awesome that's cool and uh just for people who don't know board is essentially like an nft and uh if you can give us like a quick you know like 30 second overview for people listening because i don't want them to feel like excluded from the conversation if they're not too familiar with crypto uh what is an nft anyway Sure. So uh, we haven't actually invested in NFTs, but NFT is basically um, a digital form of art that is secured on the blockchain. So uh, instead of, let's say I own the Mona Lisa, right? I can only put it in my house and people that have to come into my house in order to see it, right? But Mm -hmm. with digital art, I can prove that on the blockchain that I own it. So it's basically like a digital flex. Now, people have been paying like tens of millions or hundreds of millions for these pieces of artwork, which is daft, you know, (laughs) very daft. Uh, But my advice to you guys generally okay if you 
if I said to you, right, come, 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 I would never say to you, come and do surgery on me, right? Because you don't have a medical degree. I wouldn't trust you to do surgery on me. Similarly, when you, if someone goes to invest in the crypto markets with no knowledge, right, trying to become an overnight millionaire, the, the probability of you failing is far higher than the probability of you succeeding. If you do not do your research, study, you know, and go through that process of trial and error. There is no get rich quick scheme in life. You know, you have to put in the legwork. And my advice to everyone listening is, you know, I bet a lot of your audience have invested in crypto, right? I bet a lot of your audience have lost money on crypto. Mm -hmm. So my advice is be very careful what you buy, research it thoroughly, and your probability of failing is far higher than your probability of success. Your probability of losing money is also higher than your probability of making money. Mm -hmm. So why should people invest with you versus investing themselves? If they're, yeah, if they're accredited investors, I mean, where our products are not available. So there's, there's two types of investors, really retail investors and accredited. Accredited investor is like a high class of investor where they have to meet certain criteria in order to be able to invest. Now, mm -hmm. our, our investment products are only available to those people. But in the future, we might build something that is, you know, available to, 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 to the everyday person to invest. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, the availability of crypto investment products right now is poor. But we're actually in talks with, um, you know, a few people to inshallah um, solve that. Why did you go for accredited investors versus opening it up to anyone and everyone? So, so our minimum investment for the fund is half a million, right? Mm -hmm. And we're just of the mentality that we'd rather have, you know, 50 big investors as opposed to 5,000 small investors, because then it's a lot easier to manage. You build that stronger relationship. Um, and there's a lot of regulatory obstacles with taking money from, from retail investors. Mm -hmm. And what's the advantage of going with you Lavalier Capital versus saying, well, I have the money anyway, let me just go and put that into Bitcoin myself and get my own wallet? Uh, I mean, we don't we don't really invest in Bitcoin, but the advantage is simply the knowledge. That's what you're paying for. Right. So our fund uh, will own, we, we take fees when when we make money for you. We take a proportion mm -hmm. of what we make for you. Um, so it really is. It comes down to if you really have a good understanding of crypto and you think you can invest in the market well um then do it you know mm -hmm. go for it but but usually you know if someone has a full-time job and a different career it's very difficult for them to be good at more than one thing you know yeah so you're only taking a, a commission based off of gains so you're not it, let's say let's say someone's uh, in the red right now you you aren't taking any fees for that so we have so a typical fund structure is two and twenty which means that there's a two percent management fee and a twenty percent performance fee mm -hmm. uh, so you take two percent flat and that usually covers operational costs and then where you actually can profit is the 20% performance fee. Mm -hmm. So if someone puts in a million, you take roughly 20,000 in management fees. And then if you make them a million, you take about 200,000 in performance fees. Okay, got it. So that sounds like a, a pretty awesome business model, actually. Now, and I, I think it incentivizes you to try to make them a million, doesn't it? Because that's yeah, when you're absolutely. gonna make more money, most, the, most, the most money. So it's a win-win because it incentivizes you to make sure you, you perform well. Um, what are your thoughts on the current state of cryptocurrency right now? I know everything has been um, pretty pretty slow and, and struggling recently. So what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, there's because crypto is a new industry, right? There's going to be volatility along the way, mm -hmm. and you know, long term, I believe this asset class is likely to be higher than it is now, right? Mm -hmm. But it's going to be a choppy ride along the way, and you get that in every emerging market, right? At mm -hmm. the start. There's loads of volatility, loads of uncertainty. Most projects fail, but over time, you know, it becomes more and more established. The volatility reduces the, um, the, the access to investment products in that space, you know, goes up. So, and also that volatility allows us to be able to make more money, right? So 
one of the questions you asked before is why don't they just buy Bitcoin themselves? We're typically trying to find niche opportunities that are outside of Bitcoin, right? So, you know, it might be a DeFi coin that has the potential to go up 10 or 20 X, right? Whilst Bitcoin might only go up three or four X over that same time. Right. Got it. That makes sense. And right now with, with what you're doing, what is the strategy for you to continue growing this business? You are working with accredited investors. Uh, you're at a point right now, alhamdulillah, where uh, it seems like you have a few clients and you know things are, are rolling smooth uh, despite the challenges that you face, which is amazing to hear. What are the next steps for you? So we're looking at launching a few other investment products. Mm -hmm. So crypto, uh, you can have sub-strategies within crypto, right? So you can have a, mi a mining fund, you can have a DeFi fund, you can have um, a market neutral fund, like all these different fund structures. So we're in the process now of looking at, you know, launching a few other funds. Um, and essentially we, we hired uh, recently um, uh, a guy from the, the traditional finance world. So he comes from like the, the big banks and, and, and funds in New York. So he's going to be able to, you know, get us in front of these um, traditional finance people. Because mm -hmm. basically what happened was crypto came along in, in like about 20, 2011, right? Mm -hmm. And then it was just like a, a thing that, that geeks did, right? Geeks were involved in and all that sort of stuff. Then like around 2015, 2016 time, you know, we had that big uptick in 2017, right? And then everyone heard about it. A lot of people were calling it a scam and it wasn't going to survive. And then, um, so the, the, the bank's thinking, okay, this thing is just going to blow over. Now, 2022, especially after the coronavirus, and coronavirus has actually been, has the crypto has benefited from COVID, right? Uh, now, so we're at the stage where they're looking how to integrate it, you know, or what impact it's going to have on the, on, the, on the sector. So what we're trying to do is kind of bridge the way between crypto and the trad world by offering, you know, professionally managed digital asset investment products. And inshallah, the goal is, you know, within a few years to have over, you know, a billion dollars in assets under management. So uh, it'll be about 20x growth from here. Inshallah, inshallah. Miller Grant, you success in this journey, bro. I'm really excited for you, man. Sounds like a, an exciting journey. I want to rewind a little bit for everyone listening to this who's, uh, who's impressed right now with your growth and, and where you are um, and, and kind of dissect a little bit more about the journey getting there. Um, I know we slowly skimmed over through, of course, the challenges initially when it comes to getting that trust and getting people to trust you as a new startup with half a million or more in funds. So mm. what was it that you had to put in place for that to finally happen and for things to finally click for you? Yeah, so we, we struggled a lot, actually. We, um, at the start, the, when we were launching, we, we had to find which state we want to launch in. Mm -hmm. So uh, my business partners were living in Florida. They're from Florida, right? Mm -hmm. And the lawyer told us that, uh, so that um, Washington State, which is the other side of the US, right, top left, were, would be a good place to launch a crypto fund, right? The regulators there would approve. So our team moved from Florida to Washington, right? Okay. Other side of the US. Then we get there and we speak to the regulator and the regulator's like, you know, we're probably not, we probably would not let you launch a crypto fund, right? So, so then he said, but, but, and then we find out out of all the places that a good place to launch a crypto fund is, it was Florida. So the guys, they have to move back all the way to Florida. Oh my God. Uh, and that, that delayed our launch by months and months. And obviously imagine the team morale. Imagine you leave your hometown to a completely different state only to be told that the state that you're in was the best one. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff like that. Uh, the service providers in crypto are not great. They're getting better. But things like administrators and auditors, um, custodians, all that sort of stuff, um, it's still evolving, you know. 
And there's a lot of challenges that come with that. You know, we're, we're working a complete, with a new, completely new technology. Um, a lot of the people that we're speaking to, we have to explain to them, you know, what crypto is. Um, but we're trying to do it as professionally as possible because unfortunately, there's been a lot of scams in this space, right? Every single new industry, there's a lot of scams. And these scammers, they ruin the reputation of the sector. So, you know, if someone's been screwed over once or has had a friend that's been screwed over, they're less likely to be, want to get involved, right? That's why it's important that when you get involved in the sector, you work with the right people that are knowledgeable, right? So then your probability of failure is lower. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, you know, be as professional as we can possibly be, inshallah. Mm-hmm. And uh, does that also come with anything that you had to do yourself as a brand to position yourself as a brand that can be trusted with these funds instead of just being like, hey, we're just you know, uh, a team of like four young guys trying to, you know, uh, take your money. Was there any anything on, on the branding side? And of course, on like the, the way you communicate with your customers. And I think I'm going to referring, if I were to think back here and refer to an example that probably everyone knows, or almost everyone, if you think of the movie Wolf of Wall Street, right, where initially he was working in the penny stocks. And um, I even forget what the initial firm was, but then he went, goes on to build Stratton Oakmont and he builds like the firm. And it's this thing that people can trust. There's a brand that people can trust, right? And it has like the... Uh, the line logo and everything. So I, I'm curious to know, like, did you guys have to do any work on the branding side also to kind of communicate that uh, prestige and that trustworthiness to your clients and that mess in, in your messaging as well? Because I naturally, I believe it's something you would have had to do. Yeah, sure. So uh, at first I was, I was in the shadows, right? I didn't put my mm-hmm. names in front of my businesses. Um, I was, the, I was, I think I was shy partially because I was in medical school and also because I didn't know that you know, should I put my f- name and face in front of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, I, I kind of had to, because here's the thing. Uh, when people see a name and a, a brand and a face to something, right, they're more likely to trust it, especially mm-hmm. in a sector where a lot of people might be worried, you know, is crypto a scam, is it not? So when they see that someone has, you know, a credible record, um, is willing to put their name and face to it, it's, mm-hmm. they're more likely to trust it. Right. Uh, speaking to, to you know Omar from MIN, I think you've had him on recently, right? Uh, yes, correct. Yeah, so he was saying that seeking, uh, as a Muslim, seeking credibility is good. Seeking fame is not good, right? So it's very mm-hmm. different things. What is the reason behind why you're seeing credibility? Are you seeing credibility because you're, you want your business to succeed more or you want your voice to be heard more? That's good. But if yeah. you want to seek fame so that people are like, oh yeah, that's the guy, I know that guy, you know, that's where it becomes problematic. Mm-hmm. So I've, 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 things have been a bit louder over the last over the last you know six months um and i think a lot of good has come from it actually i've, I've had new businesses come out of it right, right? if you uh, you know people are keen to kind of get work with me get involved with me and likewise you know i'm trying to you know build as many businesses that can um succeed as possible and actually a lot of the businesses i'm launching now are providing technology and products to the muslim market mm-hmm. so one of the companies i launched is called nia capital and Nia Capital is going to invest into, into Muslims uh, or businesses building Muslims, uh, building uh, businesses building tech and products for the Muslim market. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've, I've invested in about seven or eight businesses already. We launched, launched about a month ago, alhamdulillah. Awesome. Um, so I'm trying to support Muslim entrepreneurs as much as possible. And if they're listening to this, you know, do not be afraid to, you know, go on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to reach me. Drop me a message. You know, I'll always try and help you as much as possible because, you know, we are it's where you know it's, we're one old man we should support each other you know as much as possible especially 100%. if you know allah's blessed allah's blessed us with something you know if allah's blessed you with knowledge he's gonna ask you how did you use that knowledge if he blesses you with wealth he's gonna ask you how you use that wealth etc any blessing that you have you're gonna be asked about 
100%, bro. I love that. So you decided to start Nia Capital. And also, I think I believe I remember seeing as well Al Kurd uh, Capital, which is your family name as well. So is it, are those the same thing? Did you then blend them and it became Nia or are these two separate projects? Yeah, so Al Kurd Capital is like a family office. So a family okay. office uh, basically manages the assets of a family. And then okay. the first project of Al Kurd Capital is Nia Capital. So Al Kurd Capital seeded Nia Capital with about a million, a million pounds. And that Amazing. money, inshallah, is going to go into, into Muslim entrepreneurs and you know, they don't have to be Muslim for Nia Capital to invest in them, but they, they should be building products for the Muslim market. Now, the, what I noticed, um, and I, I believe these two sectors, crypto and, and the Muslim industry, have massive opportunities for growth. The reason crypto, obviously, because it can revolutionize the financial sector, but the, there's a, Muslims are, there's 2 billion Muslims in the world, right? Let, if I talk you through the data, in the year 1800, 10% of the world population was Muslim. By the year 1900, 15% was Muslim. By the year 2000, 20% by, was Muslim. By the year 2020, 25% of the world population is Muslim. By the year 2070, it's estimated to be the biggest religion in the world. You know? Nice. So, so if you look, subhanAllah, the growth rate of Muslims around the world, right? You've got billions of people, a lot of these people living in uh, massively emerging industries like India, Pakistan, uh, Indonesia, Bangladesh. You know, 40% of Muslims come from these four countries right mm -hmm. only 15 percent of all muslims in the world are arab yeah. so these are massively emerging economies and you know these muslims they need technology and product so one of the things that we're building at the moment is called is a halal audio app so mm -hmm. it's kind of think it's going to be um quran and a sheet podcast audio things like that mm -hmm. so then we give you know one of the ways that you know a lot of a lot of muslims listen to music how can we fix that well we can build the product for them you know mm -hmm. if a father's going to their kids stop listening to music well Give your give your child something that, as an alternative, right? So, yeah. inshallah, that's it's going to be a whole ecosystem of businesses that can cater to the Muslim world. That's amazing, mashallah. I love to I love to hear uh, about projects like this, and I love to meet entrepreneurs like you, man, who are supporting the uh, growing entrepreneur community within the Muslim Ummah. And this is something that we uh, it's literally it's literally like our life and, and blood and and mission now, yeah. entrepreneur. It's literally why we exist. So, uh, I'm happy Absolutely. I'm happy that we can connect on that, mashallah. So, um. Mashallah, you're starting the uh, you're starting the the uh, Nia Capital project. You have the Lavalier Capital uh, Lavalier Capital Management, which is your investment uh, firm as well. And for you personally, as an entrepreneur behind the businesses and everything that you're doing, for you personally, what do you feel like has been maybe the most impactful change that you've underwent on a personal level that has allowed you to become the person that is able to work on these businesses? Um, and achieve those goals and continue to strive for more in your projects yeah so the there's always a correlation between how religious you are and how practicing you are and your business success as a muslim mm. not just your business success your success in general right that we're you know we're told that if we if we forget the remembrance of allah then we will not have a happy life right so it's very important right the first when a muslim comes to me and he, he's asking for business advice Right. The first thing I say to them is, what does your dean look like? You know, because I can give you all the advice you want in the world. But at the end of the day, your work is going to come from Allah. Right. Mm -hmm. So fix that first. Then talk to me. Right. Now, what, what does it take to be an entrepreneur? Uh, it takes a lot of resilience. Right. It takes a high level of, you know, a good organization. Organization is far more important to an entrepreneur than, than, than anyone can think. Right. It takes people skills. You have to be very good with dealing with people. And, and because at the end of the day, you're dealing with human emotions. You need to keep your team motivated. You need right. to uh, like be there to support them. Like there's, there's such a range of skills that are required to be an entrepreneur that you have to be, you know, pretty good at a lot of things. 
right? I am not a genius by any means, you know? What, I, what I've done with my businesses is I've put the right people in the right place, right? I've worked hard, you know, I've kept working hard until things worked out. And right now they're working out, but I don't know what the future holds. I don't know where I'm going to be in five years' time. Yeah. So that you can never be sure where you're going to be. But my, my, my advice, you know, to, to the people listening is, you know, fix a few deans before you try to, to, to do anything else, really. I love that, brother. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. And I completely echo the sentiment because, you know, when it comes to, subhanAllah, the, the students that we work with and, and all the mentees that we have with an entrepreneur, one thing that usually comes up is, you know, how how hard someone works on their business and how disciplined they are ultimately will directly correlate to how disciplined they are in their dean as well. Because if you don't have that discipline in your dean, if you're not praying your five daily prayers, if you're not, as you mentioned, fasting, and not only that, but trying to always do more to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be a better Muslim and striving to be better, then it's going to be hard to develop those qualities in your business as well. Because ultimately, those are qualities that translate between both areas. Because in business, as you mentioned, ultimately, it is an endeavor where you have to constantly seek to self-improve. You have to, you need the discipline to do things despite how you feel about them, because they need to get done for you to continue to move forward. And one very interesting thing about entrepreneurship that you mentioned, and it's something that everyone needs to develop is really the ability to let go, delegate, and get the right people on the bus. And there's this uh, amazing book that I read. Uh, it's called uh, Good to Great. I believe the author was Jim Collins. And uh, on the book, one of the main one of the the the, the main uh, lessons that I took away from it uh, that I really enjoyed was that he evaluated uh, a few companies, all of them companies that aren't necessarily famous, aren't necessarily celebrity companies. Uh, they don't have celebrity CEOs, but they are companies that were okay. They were performing at a you know standard or average level uh, when. Uh, compared to the S&P 500, the stock market. But eventually, they then something happened where they completely skyrocketed uh, and outperformed other businesses in their industries. And he studied a few companies uh, that went through that shift. And what he found is that all of them, what they had in common was that the CEOs that were there focused first on getting the right people on the bus, metaphorically, which means the right people in the right positions, before figuring out where they wanted to go with the bus, right? And I think that's a very important element. And one thing that if entrepreneurs embrace is going to completely and radically transform their businesses and their success. Because if you have the right team around you, if you have the right people around you that are smarter than you in their respective roles, uh, that are able to bring their own ideas, then you can brainstorm with them where you need to go in your business versus yourself trying to bear the burden of figuring out what you need to do on your own. At the same time, finding the right team is not easy. It's challenging and you need to really look hard and far and wide. So with that conversation, how did you go about it? Yeah, look, I don't 100% agree that if you're, when someone comes to me, an entrepreneur comes to me and says, I'm getting overwhelmed, um, usually the blame is on them, right? Because mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to do everything themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't trust others right? Because they're like, no one is going to work for my business as hard as I am. 
So I'm going to try and do everything. But if you've got employees and you're trying to do everything, it doesn't make sense. You need to learn to let go. And this is one of the things that I struggled to do at the start. You know, I wanted to do everything myself. And I was getting overwhelmed. I was working weekends. I was working 12, 12 hours a day, basically from when I wake up to, to when I go to bed. But then I learned to delegate and you need to strike that balance. It's super, super important. The other thing that I think is important to discuss is, is your intentions, right? It's like, what is your intention? A brother came to me the other day and asked for advice. And the first thing I asked him is, what is your intention? Is it because you want to drive a Lambo, right? And flex on Instagram? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that, should, a, is that, should that Muslims be, intentions be that? You know, so you need to align your intentions. What is more beautiful of an intention than becoming the best possible Muslim that you can be, building businesses that can benefit the Muslims, uh, you know, becoming someone that the, the other people can rely on, you know? The most successful men that have ever lived, the prophets, right? They were people that people could rely on, go to for advice, go to for support. You know that you could count on them. So make sure that your intentions for why you want to have a successful business are right. And do not ever, ever let your success, you know, change you or get to your head. Because remember, your success is given to you by Allah. And Allah can withdraw that whenever he sees fit. So um, and it's, it's very difficult. Look, it's something that I, that I struggled with at the start, you know, because I was at a stage where I had my medical degree. I had, I had money, I had my health, I had good friends, I had everything, I had my family, everything that you could really want from the dunya. And it did, there's a point where it caused me to, you know, not be as religious, you know, and that, that then it's not worth it. So always check yourself, check your intentions, check why you're doing what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I think one of the most important skills, going back to that, is as an entrepreneur, you need to learn to be able to delegate and mm -hmm. put the, give the right task to the right people. Because yeah. that will be the difference between your ability to, you know, be successful or not. Hundred percent. There's a question that I ask every single person that comes on this podcast, and I'm going to ask it to you too. If you could go back and give your 18 year old self one piece of advice, what would it be for you? Uh, <laughs> probably, probably that the, uh, money does not does not really make you happier. You know, mm. the the I, I've I've mixed. Alhamdulillah, you know, I've traveled to to to. 40 countries, you know, since I was born, I've, I've mixed with a, a lot of different people from, you know, uh, the, the poor and, and the rich, you know, as I told you, I just came back from the refugee camps in Le Lebanon. So mm -hmm. I saw people that are incredibly poor. I met people that, that some of them have invested in our fund, the billionaires, you know, it, it, they're not, there's not really much difference in happiness. And what you think is going to make you happy when you get it, it's not going to make you as happy as, as you think, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing is going to make you as happy as your, your, your worship in Ibadah, right? The, you know, the beautiful wife, once, once you get her, sooner or later, you're probably going to get used to her. That money, once you get it, sooner or later, you're going to get used to it. That car that you're driving that you think looks really nice, that you look really good in it, people don't really care, you know? So really just focus on, on being the best version of yourself. Do not care what others others think of you, you know? And, and yeah, I think that's a really important piece of advice because I think a big part of maturing is realizing that, you know, people don't really care that much about about you really external people they don't mm -hmm. care what car you drive they don't care how rich you are they care really about what sort of man and woman you are what mm -hmm. is your character what sort of person are you and um and yeah I'll, I'll tell you this you know money if anything a lot of very wealthy people they get so stressed and occupied in um amassing more wealth and protecting their wealth that it makes them even less happy mm -hmm. you know some of the happiest days in my life was when i was a student Right, I had barely anything. I just had my friends. I was I was vibing with them all the time, so that that's what I advise. Yeah, definitely. I I really uh, enjoyed uh, that that advice because I can recall, uh, and I'm, it's not even a story of like 
rags to riches or millions, but I can recall that moment when I first, the when I made that decision to to quit my job, and, and I first really embarked 100% full time on the in the, within this entrepreneurial journey. And my goal, my guiding light, my north star was I wanted to hit 10k a month in my business. That was like my you know my hygiene standard was I got to hit that 10k a month in my business. I got I got to make those that lofty six figures, right? And um, I worked really hard and I started a marketing agency at the time. And uh, for months and months, I, I, I wasn't um, I wasn't really finding success. And then five months in, I got my first client um, in my marketing agency. And then I got two and then I got three and eventually hit that 10K a month. And I remember the moment I, hit my, I got my first client. I remember the moment where I landed that first client and the excitement that I felt, the happiness that I felt that, oh man, I finally did it. I broke through and someone is paying me so I can, you know, actually do this work for them. And that was um, a moment that I can always remember, but I don't recall being even half as excited when I actually ended up hitting my goal of 10 K a month and even surpassing it. And I actually remember feeling a feeling of apathy, like almost like I didn't really care. And then I, and then I started questioning. I'm like, wait, this, I thought this was like my goal, my guiding light, my North star. This is what I wanted to achieve all along. And yeah. I did it and I've surpassed it. And I didn't really feel like it didn't feel even half as amazing as I thought it would, to be honest with you. Yeah, 100%. And you know, that that goes back to the point that regardless of what you get in the dunya, right, you're always going to want more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not, subhanAllah, it's, uh, I remember the days when I would be excited to close an investor for like $50,000. You know, now we get investors for like a million dollars. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, it's, yeah. it, 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 and then now, now in, you know, when in the future, if we get invested for five or 10 million, then I'll be like, okay, as well, you know, yeah. so always appreciate the name that Allah has given you, because if, if you're appreciative of it, he's going to increase you, but always realize that these things, the happiness does not lie within these things. Exactly. And you know, your, your Dean and your um, success as an entrepreneur are very, very correlated, more correlated than you can imagine. Your Dean and your success in anything that you do more correlated than you can imagine. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. And that's the thing when we set those goals and, you know, we think we're going to be happy at this amount and we're going to be happy at this amount. But ultimately, as you mentioned, I think the key, well, I truly believe the key is finding happiness where you are in this moment and being grateful for it, for it no matter what it is, no matter what, what it is that you're making, no matter where your business is at, finding that gratitude in every moment and being grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is how you find true happiness and fulfillment. I think there is a, there was this realization that I had um, recently. Well, not recently, I would say it's a few months ago, but it was about the difference between happiness and joy. And and this is how I define it. And in that, uh, sorry, not happiness and joy, but happiness and contentment. And I realized myself that contentment is a much more lasting and fulfilling emotion than happiness because happiness itself is fleeting. Happiness by nature is an emotion that you're going to feel when you're experiencing a dopamine high, whether it's because you, uh, you know, saw something beautiful while traveling, or as you mentioned, you hit a new milestone and something that you were working for, or, you know, you finally got married to the person of your dreams or whatever happens. It's something that doesn't last. You buy that new car and you feel that happiness in that moment, but then ultimately you go back to baseline. However, contentment, I feel, is a much more lasting emotion to pursue because contentment is something that you can have at all times. And it is not a, an emotion that comes and goes, but rather one that you develop and you continue to nurture through your gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and through just appreciating where you are in every moment of your life. And being content every single moment of your life 
no matter the circumstance, no matter what's going on, whether you view it out, you know, in your outer perception as negative or positive is much more satisfying and lasting than pursuing happiness. Because I feel like happiness is this temporary emotion that just isn't possible to pursue. There's no way you're going to be happy all the time. There's just no way like things happen. Things are going to go wrong. You know, you're going to have issues. You're going to have challenges. You're, you're not going to be happy all the time. Anyone that tells you that you have to be all happy, you have to be happy all the time is, is lying to you. You know, you saying I'm happy affirmations in the morning is not going to help you. But can you be content despite you, despite something going wrong, despite an issue happening? 100%. You can be content despite the challenges. And I think that is a much better, you know, feelings, quote unquote, to pursue than happiness. 100%. And I, that was the th one of the things that I didn't realize when I was younger is that um, because, because if you're a practicing Muslim, you know, do not expect to always be happy. You know, mm -hmm. it's impossible. The, the way that dunya has been made is you go through the, you know, troughs and peaks. And actually, when you go through those bad times, they make the good times happier because you know mm -hmm. the value of what you have. But contentment is priceless. You know, mm -hmm. it is something that is going to carry you through life mm -hmm. in a way that regardless of what you go through, you know, you have the perfect formula. Your creator, right? Uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfect, right? We're not. He's told us the perfect way for us to live our life. You know, why, why, how can we think that we, we think better, that we can stray away from the path and be happier? I've never met someone that went down the path of haram and has come out the other side saying, you know, I'm better off. Not once. And I'm sure you'll say the same thing. Yeah. So, so you know, know the value of the, the blessing. If you're born a Muslim, know the value of the blessing you've had. If you've reverted, know the value of what you have. Um, you know, it's truly a big blessing and it, it's fundamental to success. I'll tell you, let me tell you this. A lot of the things that our deen instills in us, they're found in the most successful people in the world. An example of that yeah. is that they, they did a study and they found that the majority of the successful people wake up very early in the mor morning. And we're told as Muslims that the barakah is in the morning, right? You should pray for your salah and you should, you know, begin your workday early in the morning. And a lot of the most successful people do that. You know, all these little things, you know, staying away from things that like drinking, staying away from things that, um, you know, marriage outside of relationships. There's a reason they've been put, in, put you know, there's a reason they've been put in place. It's to protect us. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, you know, subhanAllah, even you look at some of the, the teachings, um, you know, of the Prophet ﷺ, and there are teachings that not only, uh, not only reflect, you know, how to be a good Muslim, but also how to be an entrepreneur and a good businessman. Because, uh, there's this quote, I believe, I believe his name was Jim Ron, and um, he says something like the value or the money that you make is equal to the value that you bring to the lives of others. I, I'm, I'm misquoting him, but that's what he says. But essentially, that's a rewording of the Prophet hadith, which is that the most beneficial people to Allah are the most beneficial to others, right? Uh, the most mm. beloved people to Allah sorry, are the most beneficial people to others. And so you look at this hadith and you're like, how can I be more beneficial to others? And naturally, entrepreneurship and business is an exchange of value. And the more value you can bring to other people's lives, the more value you'll be rewarded with in return. Uh, and so it's just interesting to kind of find all these parables in our deen and, and how they connect to business. I really enjoy that sometimes. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the quote I like is that the way to make a billion dollars is to fix a billion dollar problem, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at, uh, you know, what did Facebook do? Facebook connected billions of people. They fixed a billion dollar problem. So as an entrepreneur, the most successful entrepreneurs that I know, they focus on providing value. Then the money yeah. comes, right? You know, someone, Ronaldo, for example, Messi, they don't wake up in the morning saying, how much money am I going to make? They wake up in the morning saying, I want to be the best footballer in the world. Yeah. Then, then the money comes. So don't chase the money, chase providing value to people, fix it or fixing a problem. And then the money's going to come. Mm -hmm. 
hundred percent, brother. And with that, I um, I'm really, really sad to cut this conversation short, guys, because this is like we're on a flow. And this is going amazing, mashallah. But I do want to respect your time as well, uh, Ibrahim, and make sure that you know we were able to get the most out of this uh, with the time allotted. So now that you've shared all this with us, if someone wants to continue to benefit from from um, you know what it is that you're doing, from you know your teachings and uh, from your knowledge and as well, connect with you potentially if they want to reach out for uh, advice or uh, even just a potential investment, uh, inshallah, from Alcoded Capital. Maybe they're you know curious about that and they'd like to know a little bit more. Where should they go? Where can we lead them to? Yeah. So link, LinkedIn is probably my, my best place. So if mm -hmm. you go on LinkedIn, type, type in my full name, or if you Google my name, it'll come up. Um, and then, yeah, reach out there. Um, usually awesome. I accept, you know, most people. Um, and then, yeah, inshallah, we'll review it and see, see how it can happen. If, if we don't end up investing, I'll try and refer you to resources. And one, one of the things we want to do is build a, a course for entrepreneurs at some point. But, uh, awesome. yeah, inshallah, we'll, we'll stay in touch and uh, take it from there. Awesome. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Loved every minute. Of course. Pleasure is mine, bro. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum.